You bury me when I'm alive and dig me up when I die. What am I? The answer is a plant. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Starting Sustainability and Realistic Sustainability Crossover event, meaning we are recording an episode together that will actually appear on both of our podcasts. The Starting Sustainability listeners don't know you and your listeners don't know me, so we're going to take our time to introduce ourselves. I want to know your name, your podcast name, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and your most recent sustainable purchase. So go ahead, take it away, Michael. Hi. Uh, well, I'm Michael Nazarian. I'm one of the co-hosts on Realistic Sustainability. I am just one of a family of five attempting to be as, as sustainable as possible. And you want to talk about the most sustainable purchase. Now, I have two answers. Number one, that item is usually rechargeable batteries. When you have three children who all love electronics, you have to have a tremendous amount of batteries. And I haven't bought batteries in over three years. I bought good, high-end, high-milliamp rechargeable batteries, and I've not had to recycle any batteries in that amount of time. But that's if we're talking about items. When I talk about the most sustainable purchase is the purchase I didn't have to make, which is I've kept enough things that when I need something, I have it and I don't have to buy it. So I'm not sure if that's the answers we're looking for today, but that is definitely the direction I try to go in each and every time. And I will pass that on to Nick. Well, thank you. Honestly, my name's Nick. Uh, I'm with Michael in the podcast for sustainability, father of a family of five as well. My most recent purchase would be this lovely insulated coffee mug cup. I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to sustainability. This concept is brand new to me. Mike is my, uh, my educational gateway drug. He's helping me live a better life and learning how to leave less of a footprint in my day-to-day -day activities. Awesome. That's wonderful. So I'll go ahead. My name is Kaylin Chenoweth, and I am the host of the Starting Sustainability Podcast. I come from a large family. I'm the youngest of eight children, and everybody has kids, and I am growing my family right now. We have two little boys, a toddler and a seven-month-old. I'm not currently pregnant, but in the future, we're going to have some more kids. That's our plan. So our goal is fuller. And the most recent sustainable purchase would be some toys and books as well, and they were all secondhand that I got from our, I guess it wasn't even a purchase. I really, they came from neighbors and friends, but those were the last items that we received into our home. Yay, even better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did we all meet? That's a great question. Michael joined the Starting Sustainability Facebook group and he sent me a PM to see if he could post his podcast on there, which by the way, I greatly appreciate that he asked first. And I offered to do a collaboration because it's all about sharing the information. And the more that we talk, the more we realize that we can really help each other grow. What I want to go over now is why we each started a podcast and to tell everybody what the podcast is about. I'll go ahead and go first. My podcast is called Starting Sustainability. I live in a town where the water is not safe and I have to purchase my water. And it really bothers me to have all the waste from water bottles, but it's okay because I recycle them as best as I can. I know it's not the best option, but that's what I'm forced into. And I want to help balance out all of the negative that I was creating with that plastic waste. And I want to do more, but I didn't really know what else I could do. 
that's when I started searching for different ways to be sustainable on the internet. And all I could find was stuff like being vegan and living off the grid and pooping in a compostable toilet, which are all great options, but they're not going to work for me and my family. So I had to look really hard and it was really tough navigating the sustainable world. And after having failed attempt after failed attempt, it was very easy to give up. I had to change my mindset to do more than what I'm currently doing. And I am a beginner, not an expert. There were so many simple switches that I didn't even know existed, like shampoo and conditioner bars or bamboo toothbrushes. And when I told others, they didn't know either. The more I looked into it, the deeper down the rabbit hole I fell. And that's why I started the podcast. How about you guys? Well, and I'll tell you, a lot of that resonates because I learned about sustainability in college and it was one of the more interesting things. I'm one of those weirdos who went back to school at 36, didn't necessarily know what I was going to do, but I figured it was going to be engineering, which if anybody's out there, it's a a great job, a great path. The most boring thing you'll do in life is take engineering courses. During that time, I started finding some engineering sustainability courses, uh, green design, life cycle analysis. And I literally shifted everything I was doing towards it. It was the most interesting thing. It was a riddle that mattered. And that's what brought me over into sustainability. The podcast came to be, first of all, I wasn't going to be a part of the podcast. My goal was to find some people that would do this podcast and the lovely man next forced me into it. And I think I'm having some fun now, so I'll give him the credit for it. (laughs) It was kind of the same thing is that I'm a family of five. I have a massive home with kids running around doing all kinds of things. It is very, very challenging to be sustainable to the level that most people are thinking of when they watch YouTube or other shows, you really get this feeling that if you're not living in the woods in a camper, that you're not sustainable. I think that's a big miss in society. So the reason why I wanted to do not only the book that comes out next week, but this podcast was so that people knew that they could make little changes. The same way if you're trying to create a diet, you do little bit, little bit, little bit, and and the accumulation becomes the big bit because that's how most of us are going to do it. And there's very, very few, and I'm so lucky to have connected with you because there's very few that look at it that way. And that is why I chose to do it. Nick? I would like to tell you I had this benevolent design, these ideals, and these things that I, I was working towards, but really... I just talked to you a lot and you started to kind of open my eyes about things that I never considered before and nothing that's really out of the realm of understanding for someone like me, because I'm not necessarily college educated and I don't have a higher IQ than anyone. I'm I'm just your local average everyday cook. But some of the things you would talk about were super easy things to digest and things that were easy to, you know, just change in my day-to-day life. One of the simple changes that's made a huge impact in my household with the metal straws. We use steel straws or aluminum straws. Um, and that's drastically reduced the amount of waste that we have. And I learned that by talking to you. So, and that's when you were still in school. So when you brought up the concept of the podcast and I twisted your arm into it, it's because while I do think you wanted to find other people to keep yourself out of the spotlight, you're the really the one that has the basis of information. You have the the wealth of knowledge that would help so many of us with these simple changes. And they are, they're very simple, but without knowing you, I never would have been able to understand this. Well, thank you. And, and Kaylin, I want to say one last thing before we move on and your, your water story. 
when I was in school, I was in college during the Flint water crisis in Flint, Michigan. And it's an, it's amazing how loss of confidence in your water system changes so many different things. And I can see where that would spur that same thought for you. Yeah, exactly. We moved here and then we found out about it and we had to adapt a lot to doing as waterless cooking as much as possible, (laughs) which doesn't leave you a whole lot of options because anytime that we would make spaghetti, we had to get bottled water because we did not feel safe cooking our food in contaminated water. So it just blows your mind how much you have to adapt your lifestyle. Yeah. And that water is one of those things that we have to monitor in sustainability. It's not just energy. It's not just plastics and waste, but water is something we need for life. And it's a a major part of sustainability. Another thing that I wanted to bring up that kind of helped connect us was Michael wrote a book first and then went into the podcasting route. And I have gone to the podcasting route and am planning to someday write a book. So hopefully we can help each other in that process. But if you want to go ahead and tell everybody about your book, go for it. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, First of all, I think you're doing it the right way. Mine was, it was definitely a challenge, but it's the beginner's guide to greening your life because I really wanted to bring the small things to people's homes. And so people who aren't going to have a compostable toilet, they're not going to live in a camper out in the woods, non-connected or off the grid. This gives a much better idea, first of all, the background of sustainability and help understand some of the terms, but then give you some of those little ideas, how to control the lighting in your home so that it's not expensive and you're not burning up a lot of electricity. It's going to give you a way to manage your home little by little using insulation, uh, light reflection, other ways like from passive house or lead to get better each and every day. The book is designed just to remind you over and over again, all you have to do is slightly better than yesterday. I love that concept. Speaking of yesterday, in my podcast, I do a segment called Catching Up with Kaylin, where I recap some sustainable initiatives, actions that I've tried in the past week. Have either of you tried anything, whether you failed or succeeded or just repeated it because you loved it, but can you share something sustainable that you have done this past week? Well, Nick, I'll let you go first since I've been hoarding up all the time. Uh, well, I tried something that was really, really stupid. <laughs> we have uh, a lot of trees in my yard. So I had this bright idea to try to reuse the compost bags that you fill with the leaves and you clean it. Because they're a real thick, dense paper and, and the paper takes so much to produce it, figured, well, I don't want to have to buy a whole nother case of them. I'll just reuse the ones that we have. And uh, yeah, that didn't work. It wasn't practical. Um, In trying to remove the sticks and leaves, I destroyed the bags. That is a situation where I failed to try something. It didn't work. Well, but did you use that paper in any other way or did you just get mad and say it's out of here? Well, it made excellent kindling is the best way to put that. Ah, okay. And by the way, I still think your best uh, sustainable purchase is your chickens. Oh, I I can't take credit for that. That's the missus, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, for me, what I've done this week is, and my neighbors do look at me a little weird. uh, I live in a a small town, so I have just a normal size small lot. And I mulch up all the leaves really, really small, knowing that some of it will make it down into the ground below the grass line. And the rest of it, I bag up. And I bag it up and lay it in my raised beds. I, I have garden beds in the back that I have built so that every year 
I can lay this layer of leaves over the top. And then come next spring, I give it a little bit of soil, like almost a potting soil quality and another can of worms, and they work their way down. So I not only clean the yard by getting all the leaves, but ended up cleaning my neighbor's yard which they were very excited to allow me to do. So just so that I could have their leaves, so I could mulch them up and put them in my beds all over my property. So that's probably my my sustainable thing for the week that I get to use. Instead of sweeping it off into the streets and letting it wash down into the drains, I get to keep all that material. When you say that you mulch the leaves, are you just running over them with a lawnmower or is there a special process that you're supposed to do? Well, I do have an electric mower um, and it does have a bagger. So I run the electric mower over it several times. Then I add the bag because I want as much of the, the smaller pieces of material to stay on my yard because that's what really fertilizes my yard. And then anything that's big and would be considered to be unappealing to look at because that's how we are in the U.S. with our lawns, I bag it up and then lay it in those beds. Ah, just adds more nutrients to the, to the soil there. And I do it when I first built the beds, I only put about a foot of soil in them. So they're raised up probably three, three and a half feet. So I'll have years and years of years of putting leaves and other sticks and materials in there before it even gets remotely close to full. Got it. Yeah, we had all the leaves come down and my husband did rake them up because they'd all collected right in front of where I park, right by the doors. So trying to get in and out of the cars, I'm like, just rake these up out of the way. So he raked them into a pile. And then I brought my two-year-old out there. I was like, look, a pile of leaves. Let's play in it. And he was like, no. I said, no, you, you <laughs> jump in it. And so he jumped up and down, but I could not get him to jump into the pile. So I'm in the pile of the leaves, throwing him in the air, kicking and playing. And he's just looking at me like... No, I don't want to do it. <laughs> You're the most unfun two-year-old ever. <laughs> so they are still there. We haven't mulched them because it's been windy and rainy like crazy for the past week. So we're just kind of waiting for the leaves to dry up because I don't know if you can mow over them wet or if that's going to bog down the mower. So right now we're kind of at an in-between trying to figure out what to do with all of our leaves. It's fun. All my neighbors will peek over before they throw anything organic out. Like, hey, do you want this? And they have this look on their face. Like, they're not sure why I would want it, but I seem to always want it. But do you want it? And the neighbors I have over here are elderly. So it, it's I get to say, let me clean your lawn for you. It's good for them. And I sell them on the fact that I'm taking this material that I won't have to buy. You, you just let me have it and I'll mow your lawn. And it seems to work out pretty well. <laughs> I'm trying to think what all I did this past week. Where I work, our cafes are shut down. Oh, Nick, I don't think you know this, but I'm a registered dietitian and I know that you're a chef. So there's a food connection there. <laughs> so our cafes have closed down and they've changed completely because of coronavirus. So now we're doing a box lunch program. So we have box lunches that come in already assembled and we pass them out. Eventually, they're going to expire, and we try really hard all week to rotate them to make sure that we're like using up what's going to go bad. Normally, we run donations, but we were not able to run donations yesterday, so I rescued box lunches and, and then brought them to our neighborhood, and I passed them out because by Monday, they're not going to be good, and I'm going to have to trash all of them. So that's what I did yesterday. I fed four different families in our neighborhood with all these box lunches and salads. That's commendable. It's fantastic. For our collaboration, we all wanted to cover a new topic that we have not talked about before. Today, we're going to discuss carbon footprints. Now, these are not footprints in the dirt from our feet. No, we're not going to be following the footsteps to find Sasquatch either. 
I have talked about what carbon is and what carbon emissions are on my podcast on a previous episode. Michael is here and he's going to help explain what exactly a carbon footprint is. Thank you. Um, well, first thing I want to say is when we, we always talk about the carbon footprint, but there's also methane and all these other uh, compounds that are out there. So carbon's just the most abundant. When we talk about a carbon footprint, we're talking about how much energy it took for us to accomplish getting something, doing something, or building something. So for an example, when you go to the store, part of your carbon footprint is, did I choose the closest store or the furthest store? The amount of fossil fuels used in getting from point A to point B is part of that carbon footprint. When you buy a product, did you buy it local or was it manufactured on the other side of the planet? I measure everything in something called embodied energy, which is the amount of fossil fuels or energy total used in getting that item to you. That's how I look at carbon footprint. Every decision I make, how much energy did it take? Does that make sense? Yes. So you mentioned the transportation. What are the other areas in our lives that would have the biggest carbon footprint that we need to keep track of? Well, for me, originally, that transportation was pretty big. I lived in one city and worked about an hour away. This is the one positive thing I can find from COVID is that I get to work from home and I don't drive an hour each direction to go to work and such. But now it's my household energy. I have five people in a house that absolutely love light. They're not sure how to make it go away. No one turns off a switch in this house. Their refrigerator is always partially cracked open, which is funny because I deal with embodied energy and I'm the guy on the podcast. You would think the other four would be a little more conscious of it. But my largest footprint is keeping this house running to keep everybody comfortable because I do believe sustainability has to be done without you noticing. You have to be able to reduce your carbon footprint, reduce your energy profile, and have no one else in the house even notice. That's how you get people to really make that change. So that's where I start working with smart devices so that when they leave a room, if the, if the room is idle too long, the lights turn off, or I can use voice to turn things off. So we're getting there, but it's certainly my biggest challenge. That was my first thought that went through my head. And we're like, everybody leaves the lights on. I'm like, install motion detector lights. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you know what happens then? You and I do a podcast and then my lights go off and you have to see me waving my arms around. <laughs> or the cat walks by a hundred times a day and keeps right. turning it back on. <laughs> Absolutely. But now with home assistance, when I was in Hawaii for my honeymoon, which by the way, beautiful place. I was able to check the thermostat. I was able to check quite a few things in the house directly from my phone. So even if I had forgot to turn the, the air conditioning down or the heat down, I can just check it from my phone and make that adjustment as needed. Those are, those are some pretty nice uh, advancements in technology. Do you track your carbon footprint? And if so, how? Or are you just mindful of it and just trying to reduce, reduce, reduce? Well, I mean, you can track a lot of things for carbon, but remember when they burn a piece of coal at the power plant, you only get 16% of that energy. The rest is lost from transfer from point A to point B. So whatever your energy output is, you have to multiply it large if you're going to count for your actual carbon footprint. What I tend to do is I look at my consumption. I look at certain things I know I can work on at a micro scale. How many gallons of water do we use this week in my water bill? 
let's look at my electric bill. How much gas? How much electricity? Is it, am I on a downward trend from year over year? When I took the trash out, did I take out four cans or did I take out two cans? I measure things in functional actions. I think that's a lot better than charts and graphs in an Excel spreadsheet, which you're an engineer. So that's honestly what I imagined you doing. <laughs> he probably <laughs> does. I, I have a large amount of tracking for different things. Uh, but the whole concept of sustainability and getting it to be mainstream, I think you have to simplify. You have to simplify to micro actions. If I start showing up with pie graphs and different things, I'm going to be ignored within within 30 to 60 seconds. I agree. <laughs> That's going to overwhelm everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Which I do in most cases on everything else. So it's just sustainability that I'm trying to keep uh, at a basic level. You gave us some tips already on how to reduce transportation-wise, which would be travel less or be smart about your traveling options and what you can do in the house. Are there other areas that we have not discussed that we could also work on reducing our carbon footprint? Ooh, grow your own food. That's one of my favorites. Uh, you'll, you'll hear jokes from Nick about my garden and if there's a spare piece of space on my tiny piece of land, there's probably something edible growing on it. I mean, a lot of the fruits and vegetables that we see in large box supermarkets are not local. So it's really quite important to grow as much as you can yourself. You know what the inputs are, so you know what you're getting out of it. I have all kinds of people who during the spring show up looking for tomatoes, including my brother. They're so tasty. <laughs> because they actually have a flavor. They weren't picked long before they were ripe. They're they sit there, they get to pick their own, they get to choose their own. In, our, in, in my town, we have a share box. So we have a share stand that everybody brings their fruits and vegetables to. So if I had a terrible harvest on tomatoes, I can trade a whole bunch of other things and take someone else's tomatoes. That is a great idea. We need to do that over here. I'm going to implement that. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Everybody who has, you know, everybody has too much zucchini at some point or squashes and you just put them up there for the whole community. Anyone can have them. Each of us are from different backgrounds and live different lifestyles. Can you name a few of your favorite things that you do to reduce your carbon footprint? Mine is simply grow as much as I can of my own food. I keep every container I possibly can and I reuse everything until it's no longer usable. And then I find one more use. Oh, very good. Nick, can you top that? I'm going to try. Um, I reuse things in the kitchen as much as possible. I am, I call myself the leftover liaison. I don't believe in throwing food away and I don't believe in going to buy groceries for the day when you have a bunch of stuff in the fridge, it's just dying to be used. Also, I already mentioned the steel straws. We have a lot of reusable containers. So things like Pyrex. And then, you know, if we do happen to buy a butter container, that butter container may only have butter ones, but it has spaghetti or it has, tuna noodle casserole, or it'll have chili in it, you know, for the rest of its time with me. We reuse as much as we can in that regard, because there's just, there's no point in buying something I'm going to have to buy again if I'm just going to throw it away. So we end up reusing those containers, um, soup-based containers. I have tons of them. I use them for all different kinds of sauces and jellies and jams. I think they're wonderful. And then uh, the bags were a big failure, but uh, grocery bags, plastic grocery bags, they always end up being trash liners, which I think is kind of normal for most people. I think a lot of people do that. I'm not the only one. 
Yeah, I agree. Those are all very good. You're cracking me up with the tub of butter. It made me think of when you go to grandma's house and you're like, which one is the actual butter? Because there's about 15 butter tubs that are all holding different leftovers and you have to spend 10 minutes popping off all the lids trying to find the real butter. Yeah, my wife made me put not in front of the country crack. So she knew which one it wasn't butter. Well, in defense of uh, your wife, country crack isn't butter. So that works. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I guess it's my turn. What is my favorite thing to do to reduce the carbon footprint? You know, this is going to sound really crazy. We did cloth diapers. Initially, I started because I had money set aside in the budget for diapers, but because breastfeeding did not work out, I also now had to pay for formula, which is just as expensive as diapers and was killing us budget-wise. Right. Okay, let's give this cloth diaper thing a whirl. And it's definitely a huge learning curve because there's no support. Nobody else around me knew anything about cloth diapers. That's what made it really tough. But after about I'd say six weeks to two months, I finally got it figured out. Now I absolutely love them because I have never once had a poop explosion in a cloth diaper. <laughs> so, really? I mean, Nothing yeah. up the back? None of those nope. ruin a shirt moments? Nope, because the cloth diapers are elastic. So they're real tight around their waist and their legs. So you don't have any gaps. So nothing's shooting out any direction. I was like, I love cloth diapers. There we go. They can only hold so much liquid. So the pee (laughs) will eventually leak out because it can only hold so much. So you do have to continue to change them. But I love them. They are awesome. (laughs) It's a whole different kind of footprint. When you first started that, I'm thinking, boy, she's brave. (laughs) So what you're saying is they're fantastic. I did not know that. Yeah, I I really like them. Well, they're also fun because you got so many different colors and designs and prints. So when your kids walk around in a diaper, you're also like showing it off. <laughs> so it's like your kids have dressed already because they that's what it looks like anyways. Nice. So the other part about the carbon footprint is Michael has a new concept that I've never actually heard before, and that is a positive footprint. So can you tell us about that? Well, it's funny because a positive footprint is really almost like a pyramid scheme for good deeds. It is when you do something like, for an example, this is a pre-COVID example, but bring your bags to the grocery store. We have family members, Nick and I, who will mock us for that. And it doesn't slow me down whatsoever. But as people see me bringing them in, more and more people see that as an acceptable action. Or when I'm collecting leaves and using them for compost here at my house, more people are collecting their own and doing the same. So I kind of get credit for them seeing me do it and then them doing it. And that's what your positive footprint is. The more positive things you do, others see and they start doing, you get that credit. They're carrying around, Nick is carrying around a coffee mug that he'll have for the next 10 years, or I hope he'll have for the next 10 years. And that in itself saves a tremendous amount of cups. All of these actions are important. And that's where you get a positive footprint. That makes sense. You know, I think I've actually been doing the positive footprint lifestyle without even realizing it. Every day I go to work and I pack a lunch. Yes, I do have those free box lunches, but they're there's it's it's only sandwich chips and macaroni salad. That is it. So I I want some (laughs) other stuff healthier options. So I'll bring a yogurt and a salad and whatnot, but I bring a metal fork and spoon and a cloth napkin. And my coworkers thought I was really weird. Like, why are you bringing that? We've got disposable napkins and plastic forks right here. Yeah, but I really can't stand eating off of a plastic fork. 
try eating a salad with a plastic fork. Every time you stab it, the fork bends out of the way. You can never get a carrot <laughs> on that thing. I like the metal and I like the cloth napkin. I like how it actually cleans my face and my fingers the first time I use it. And I have to keep doing it multiple times and then still go wash my hands afterwards like you do with a paper napkin. I love the cloth napkins. And so then eventually they started doing it too, just because I did it and loved it and bragged about it. I never told them to do it. I never got mad at them for doing, for using disposables, but they did start bringing in their own cloth napkins and real cutlery. And it does class up your lunchbox a little bit more when you've got the real items there. Well, and a lot of times it's the fork, the knife, and the spoon from an old set. You're not taking your household sets usually. So instead of disposing of those or getting them at Goodwill, you're extending the life. It has a purpose. It's at work. This is my work set. And that's another thing not thrown away. It's another thing that prevents other things from being thrown away. And more importantly, it was, a, it was the item that made others see otherwise. That's what I love about a positive footprint. I think a lot of us do it. It's just giving it a name. So we remember to do it each and every time, every, every chance we get. We're basically normalizing sustainability because when it, the concept of being eco-friendly and using reusable grocery bags and reusable water bottles, when that first all kind of came out, everybody thought, you're weird. Why are you doing that? Why are you bringing grocery bags when they provide you free plastic disposable ones? Why would you bother bringing your own? So the more that people do it, the more normal it is and you lose that stigma. A lot of it is the stigmas. It's, you know, everybody's got a joke, but in the early nineties, everybody laughed at single use water bottles. Who would buy them? We've got all this free water everywhere. Who would take this bottle? I'm just taking the concepts of history because everybody drinks it now. It's you know, 40 plus billion dollars in revenue in bottled water. It's normalized. Now we can normalize good things the same way. Everybody carries their own container. I've had the same cup for eight years. Matter of fact, people from college who see me again go, you still have that thing? I certainly do because that's what I needed to do. It's an aluminum cup. It should last my whole life. Yeah. It used to be, you still have that t-shirt from 20 years ago. Yeah, I do. And it was kind of embarrassing. And now it's like, heck, yeah, I do. Now you're proud about it and you're showing it off. <laughs> Absolutely. It, you know, it's it, it used to be my, my dad would pick on me if I'm trying to use some other item other than its general purpose because I didn't have the other stuff. But now it's creativity. You know, I, I help teach kids STEM. I, I'll hand them a pencil all the time and say, you can use this for anything other than erasing or writing. What I'm doing is trying to build that thought process that you can use anything for anything it works for. It doesn't matter why they made it. That is a hard thought process because it's kind of grained into your head. This is a reusable grocery bag. You can only use it to carry groceries. And it was a hard concept to tell people you can also take that with you to Target and you can put clothing items in that. You can also take that with you to Lowe's and you can put a hammer and nails in that. It's a shopping <laughs> bag. It's not groceries only, but for some reason, the title of it really limits their creative thought process. That's what I need to explore is how to get people to be more creative with the items that they're trying to reuse. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that you're, you're going to end up with, especially right now. Shopping bags are just going to happen because of COVID. There's certain rules and regulations. I can't go to my favorite stores and buy in bulk right now. I just have to deal with it. 
But if we're thinking about it while we're dealing with it, we'll make better decisions. And that's the important part. As long as we're conscious of what we're doing, we're going to choose the best situation we can for that moment. And if it's not great, if I have to buy something with a plastic container, I'll just use that plastic container as often as I can. Getting outside of your own head, thinking outside the box is something I think is an everyday struggle across all different realms of employment and daily lives. And that when you look at like reusable shopping bags, it's kind of an easy way to bridge that gap because really you anything fits in a sack. They're great for diaper bags. They're good for tote bags. You know, my grandma has one she takes everywhere and she's got like a first aid kit. And like, I think she actually has like a little elevator in there. Like she, obviously that's a joke, but people can use them for anything, not just groceries. And even the plastic ones have their uses. You know, I have people, customers every day that use plastic grocery sacks for their lunches when they come in there. It's just something people need to look at differently. And it's not a high concept to accept. It's just applying it. That's all it is. Yeah, I kind of have to retrain your brain on how to think more creatively. What else can I do with this? Absolutely. And that's where our Facebook pages, Facebook groups, these podcasts, they help. If you're not a creative thinker, then you can steal our ideas that we're always discussing. You're not even stealing it. We're literally sharing them with you. We want you to find easy concepts that you can incorporate. That's what these are for. That may be one of the best uses of social media. I agree. Well, and it also gives, you know, individuals like myself, like I know the certain things that I've worked on and the certain things I've read about. But when I get into those groups, I find out so much more because it's everybody's perception. And they learn at their own level and teach me every single day. And it's one of the most enriching things that I've ever done is build those groups. I agree. Because before I joined a couple of sustainability groups, but it was the same topics over and over because it was the whole group had one way of thinking. When you join a couple of other groups or create your own group, you're getting minds and brains from a whole lot of new people who bring in new ideas and new thoughts and new topics that they want to talk about and new tricks and tips and hacks that they've come up with. It is a very positive aspect of social media. Absolutely. It's such a beautiful thing to see someone light up and open up to an idea they had never considered. Because a lot of people are super open to these concepts. They just never thought about them. And all you have to do is turn on the light, for lack of a better expression. Well, while we're on the social media topic, let's go ahead and share our handles now so listeners can find us. Do you guys want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. We're found at greeningyourlife.org for the website itself. We would love you to join the page and the group at Greening Your Life on Facebook. Just put that in the search engine. You'll find the page and it will lead you directly to the group. And of course, I have to say that next week, hopefully next week, uh, the Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life, the book will be out. You'll be able to find it on SD, the website, and eBay. And then your podcast is Realistic Sustainability, not Greening Your Life. Correct. It's Realistic Sustainability. We wanted to focus on what we could do. And that's also found right on the website. And then mine is Starting Sustainability everywhere. So startingsustainability.com. And the Facebook is Starting Sustainability. We have a page and we have a group. And then Instagram is starting underscore sustainability. That's where you'll find us. That pretty much sums up our big, gigantic 
crossover event main topic. Now, at the end of an interview, my listeners already know that I love a good game. We're going to actually do it a little bit differently this time around. I have actually challenged Michael and Nick to find the weirdest yet oddly sustainable story and share it. And this can either be from their own lives, friends, or from the news. And then we want all of you listeners to go and vote on which one you think is the weirdest of them all. Ooh. I'm excited. I don't know if you guys are. <laughs> so who wants to go first? I say we pick Nick. We've been, make, no, we've been making him go last the whole time, and I've even <laughs> talked over him. So, Nick, how about you? I think you should go first because I am currently waiting on a phone charger before I am accidentally removed from this conversation. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. <laughs> well, then if that's the case, I will go first. Um, again, like I said during our conversation before the podcast that I didn't think I had any. And my wife quickly reminded me that that is very far from true. Um, And I'm going to give you this example because it's one of the reasons why no one likes to go shopping with me like ever. We have a large farmer's market. I just love about, about a half hour away. So about once a month, sometimes twice a month, I try to make it out there because I can get bulk foods. The veggies are, are pretty much local as much as possible. It's a great place to go. And, you know, I've loaded the card up, I'm going through the register and they have some of the, some of the nicest employees and the experience there is always fantastic. It's one of those places that even the shoppers are all kind of happy to be there. And as we're going through, the gentleman asked, uh, paper or plastic. And this is one of those things that always gets me kind of yelled at at first, but I always choose plastic because we cut down trees too fast. The amount of energy in a paper bag is way over the plastic. The only advantage that the paper has over plastic is that it's actually biodegradable. Because I reuse things over and over and over, and every time you reuse something, you cut the embodied energy in half, I always choose plastic. And it started a conversation at the register about that. Why plastic? And here I am in this large supermarket with about 15 people gathered around me as we're holding this conversation about as long as you're using the plastic bags to the point of no longer being usable, it is a more sustainable option. If we reduce everything else in our house, composting some of this plastic isn't necessarily terrible. But the amount of energy in paper really causes grief because that energy comes from fossil fuels. And if we're worried about climate change, it's definitely going to be a problem. And here I am in the middle of a grocery store. I've got three employees and about 10 to 15 shoppers. And I'm doing a Q&A session for about 25 minutes. Are you still in line at this point? Like you're holding up the register or you have checked out and you're just doing it outside the register area? I was done. And everything was in the cart, but everything stopped. The people in line are part of the conversation. They're not saying, hey, move, I got to get out of here. The employees have stopped ringing people up. And for about 20 minutes, this conversation was a store-wide conversation. That's really cool. (laughs) So that is one of the reasons why my loving wife does not like to go to the store with me, because that that is a positive. That was a good thing. A lot of people got to hear a a different perspective, and I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, She generally doesn't have as much fun with it. (laughs) Did you get your charger, Nick? Uh, it's still on its way, but I think I can shorthand my story because it's not nearly as fun as Mike's. 
So some time ago, I I want to say it was like in the beginning of COVID. I was online. I am on Facebook and other social media a lot. And I come across this picture that someone turned into a meme where it was a city boulevard and it, all these trash cans are knocked over and there's there's all different kinds of stuff. There's cigarette butts and there's sand and there's dirt and all this stuff is just filthy. And I said, oh my God, look at all the spoons. And then I proceeded to get bombarded by comments and messages from people I didn't know, people I didn't know over, if the spoons are all I noticed, then I have a problem. And I did have a problem. And I, I and as Mike knows, sometimes there's conversations that you really don't get anything from online. And so I decided that I was going to pick this as an opportunity to explain my mindset on it. And the reason the picture struck me as funny was that, well, yes, it was really filthy and there was dirt and there was garbage everywhere. Most of it was biodegradable. Sand is sand. Dirt is dirt. Paper and cups, we don't want them on the ground, but eventually if it rains enough, they're going to biodegrade and fall apart. The spoons, however, are a whole other ballgame. Spoons, straws, plastic cups, empty water bottles, they're going to be there for the long haul. And whether they're left there and they get buried or they get swept up and taken to a landfill, they're going to be there for a very, very long time. And no matter how I tried to explain it, I was the bad guy because all I noticed were spoons. I love the fact that all you noticed was the plastic, just saying. Well, I have three kids, man. Dirt's dirt. I see dirt every day. (laughs) That's true. One of my favorite quotes, I apologize, I don't remember who said it, but it was, a plastic fork is used for 15 minutes, and then it sits in a landfill for 500 years. It's the same thing with the spoons. They're barely used at all, considering their whole entire lifespan. They were barely used, and they're just going to sit there now. It's really disheartening. Yes, I agree. The amount of time it takes to produce and, and make those and then ship them and like all the embodied energy that Mike talks about so much, the amount of time that takes for literally, I don't think 15 minutes is even like, that's probably double what they actually get used for. Does it take you 15 minutes to eat a bowl of soup or like a bowl of ice cream? Well, it does for me because I'm a mom and I get interrupted like 4,000 times every meal, <laughs> but I also don't use plastic spoons. So, <laughs> but <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Well, that just happens to be one of the topics we talked about in the embodied energy episode in realistic sustainability. You save 15 minutes for the spoon, but you'll be lucky to get it because sometimes they come in the cutlery set. So you have a fork, a spoon, a knife, salt, pepper, and a napkin. And chances are someone opened it up for one item. They grab that fork, they use that fork, and they dispose of the whole pack And if you just knew what it took to get it in your hand, the amount of energy, where it came from, where it's got travel points well beyond most of us. And we just went, ooh, salt, used it through the rest away. It just drives me bonkers. We have those packets in our cafes with the box lunches. Those things are nine cents because they're so cheap. That's why people throw them away. To them, they're free especially when we're giving it to them for free. So from from the customer's point of view, this is a free item. I need one. I'm going to throw it away. And even from our point of view, oh, we paid nine cents for it. So I can still use one item and throw it away because it doesn't hit us hard in the pocketbook. So you don't give it much thought. Well, and that's one of the things is you got to find a financial reason because a lot of times things are measured by finances. I think it was uh, Sir David Attenborough that said, as long as a tree is more profitable on the ground turned into a chair, then people are going to keep cutting it down. And really, uh, 
ecologically, it isn't more profitable. It, we, it's better as a carbon sequester. It's better as an oxygen producer, you know, and all the other things. We just have to find that way to change that mindset or make it more profitable to do the right thing. I'm going to quote Mike right now when I say the only thing worse than a single use item is a single use item that doesn't get used. Ooh, I like that quote. Uh, my brother's pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> Selectively. Are you ready for my turn? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I went with a news story that I actually first heard about this from a podcast that I listened to called My Favorite Murder. Someone wrote in a story and this is what they submitted and I liked it. So then I looked up news articles to get more information and more detail. So this is coming from My Favorite Murder. And then I also got information from insider.com and USA Today. So here's the story. In 2014, a man from Stevens Point, Wisconsin, named Jeremiah Button, was arrested after a middle school-aged relative told a counselor that he had been abusing her for the past four years. In a search of Button's home, police also said they found an SD card with child pornography on it. Button was subsequently charged with child sexual abuse and possession of child pornography, but his parents paid his $25,000 bond so he could live at home while he waited for his trial to start. Okay, that part's terrible, not sustainable. Here's We're, we're getting there, I promise. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> While out on bail, he biked 30 miles north to a rustic wooded area near Ringel, Wisconsin. This was also close to the Marathon County's landfill. He carved a bunker into an embankment and then covered it in brush for camouflage. The walls were lined with tarps and cardboard, and he brought in food and supplies one backpack load at a time. In 2016, two weeks before his court date, Button left his car, wallet, and a note saying he had moved to Florida. And for the next three years, Button hid in the hole in the ground, getting all of his necessities from the landfill nearby. Can you imagine the smell? <laughs> that would be awful. <laughs> and can you imagine the food that you'd have to eat? But that's where oh. it's like, it's weird, but oddly sustainable that for three years he could live in a hole in the ground off of the landfill. They even go into more detail. He dug a well in a wet area of the woods and used a water filtration system from the dump. And for warmth, he had a fire pit with a tin can chimney. He added some comforts of home, like a computer, radio, lights, and a fan. Again, all from the dump. Button even attached an antenna to a tree for TV and used a system of eight solar panels and numerous car batteries to power it all up. And on cloudy days, he charged the batteries with a stationary bike. Oh, my. If this guy wasn't such a creep, I would be in awe of his ingenuity and utilization of the resources around him. <laughs> so He should be working at an institute like making he should be MacGyver is what he should be if he wasn't so creepy. He was almost forced off the grid and flourish during it. Yeah, it's weird. But he did have a very minimal carbon footprint. That was my connection to this episode. Well, we all appreciate that. And I think yours is already getting my vote. Mine too. <laughs> all right. So I got a little bit left. There's, there's more to this story. There's more? There's more. All this came to an end when a hunter came upon the well-concealed door of the bunker and curiously went inside to find 44-year-old Jeremiah Button lying down on his bed. Why would you open a door hidden in the woods? Uh, Nothing good is going to be behind that door. <laughs> why, why would you do that? <laughs> Curiosity kills the cat. This guy lived. 
<laughs> but that was my first thought. I was like, why would you open a freaking door hiding in the woods? Yeah, geocache that and go give it to the police. Yeah, he did call 911. And after a 20 minute standoff with police, Button came out and stated, I'm a wanted man. And then remarked, it was nice to talk to human beings again. In October 2019, Button received 30 years for his crimes, which is good. He need he deserves all of them. But the judge gave him 230 days already served because of his life on the limb. Once in custody, police said the conversation-starved Button was eager to explain how he had survived on the run and how he built his elaborate bunker. This is a quote. Given the chance, I think the majority of the U.S. population would choose prison over this type of isolation from human contact. (laughs) Which is a great way to remind everybody that starting sustainability shouldn't be an all-in moment. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. That's all three stories. Feel free to go and vote. You can go to the Starting Sustainability Facebook page and go there and vote. We'll have a poll up. You can comment or like which one you like the best. And then you can also go to either site, either the Starting Sustainability page or the Greening Your Life page and tell us about your own experience. If you have a fun story or of a crazy news story, a personal story of a weird but oddly sustainable experience that you had, please share that with us. I think that would be really fun to recap on the next episode that we do. Oh, I would love to see these stories because I'm hoping people have such an entertaining perspectives on so many different things. And I just love reading them. Yeah. (laughs) And it makes me feel less weird. (laughs) So if you're hearing this, help me write a story in there so I don't feel weird. Yes. Normalize this. We (laughs) we need to normalize. (laughs) This is our positive footprint right here. We're normalizing it. Absolutely. Well, it was an absolute pleasure doing a crossover collaboration with you guys. Every time I see crossover, it makes me think of Hercules and Xena. Did you guys ever watch those shows? But they always do big crossover events. So every time I see that, it's immediately what I think. Yeah, mine was last night. We were watching, the wife and I were watching Supernatural, and it was like a Scooby-Doo Supernatural crossover animated episode. So now every time you say crossover, that's where my brain is falling into. I would have not paired Scooby-Doo and Supernatural together, but they, I mean, they do go together now that you think about it, but I just wouldn't have paired them together. (laughs) It was an interesting episode. (laughs) Would he have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those wily kids and their dog? Oh, there was a handful of those little comments scattered everywhere. And it has lingered on to other episodes. Oh, the following episode, something was said and, and Dean said, jinkies. (laughs) they just love their easter eggs i will say thank you to michael and nicholas nazarian for joining in on this collaboration and i want to remind everybody to go check out both of our facebook pages and our podcasts and our facebook groups it's all about getting all the information from all the different perspectives and just incorporating whatever you can into your lives yep join us and we'll learn together everybody stay sustainable and we'll talk to you all again next week Bye. Bye. Bye.